Hello, you're listening to On Israel in Al Monitor. I am Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. The crisis that broke out in relations between Moscow and Jerusalem in recent weeks seems to be easing. An Israeli legal team is now in Russia to deal with the ostensible cause of the crisis, Russia's plans to shut down the operations of the Jewish agency that facilitates immigration to Israel. However, this saga is far from over. Putin has yet to speak out on the matter, and as everyone knows, he always has the final say. Vladimir Putin has always been considered a great friend of Israel and a true lover of Jews wherever they are, although the Russians and before them the Soviet Union were always the main strategic supporter of Israel's enemies, whether Arab countries for decades and Iran these days. That's uh, one of the reasons for Israel's uh, decision to adopt a kind of clumsy neutrality when the crisis between Russia and Ukraine broke out and why it was reluctant to line up with the Western democratic camp when the horrific images emerged from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But in recent months, with a considerable delay, Israel has joined the United States, Western Europe, and the rest of the enlightened world. Is the order to close the Jewish agency a kind of a reprisal by Putin for this shift in Israeli policy? Will the crisis also lead to friction and perhaps even a confrontation between the Israeli and Russian air forces in the skies over Russia? Our guest today will try to answer these questions. Arkady Milman is the head of the Russia program at the Institute for National Security Studies, INSS. He was uh, Israel's ambassador to Moscow and to Azerbaijan. He'll be here right after a short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Now, I am happy to say hello to Arkady Milman, who is the head of the Russia program at the Institute for National Security Studies in Israel, the INSS. Hi, Arkady. How are you doing? And thank you for joining us here in On Israel in Al Monitor. Thank you. Okay, let's start with the current crisis in Israel-Russia relations around the activities of the Jewish agency in Russia. Is this a technical bureaucratic clash or is it something deeper to do with Russia's uh, 
dissatisfaction with Israel's transition from relative objectivity to support for Ukraine and the West with regard to Russia's invasion? The crisis is uh, definitely not uh, technical uh, bureaucratic, uh, but it is also not directly connected to the change of the Israeli position on the war issue. Uh, first of all, uh, because there was uh, no significant change in the Israeli position. Israel hasn't started to supply uh, weapons to Ukraine. The loan that Ukraine requested, 500 million, uh, hasn't uh, been approved, etc. There are more examples. Secondly, uh, the war was only a catalyst to long-time process of worsening of Russia's relations with the West. And Israel is a part of the West in Russian eyes couldn't avoid it. I would say that uh, the crisis around Sofnut uh, that we see today is mostly the result of internal processes in Russia. For the last decade, uh, the atmosphere, they became more and more hostile towards uh, foreigners, uh, including uh, towards locals who receive financial support from outside Russia. If we add to the formula uh, rising levels of anti-Semitism, and the war in Ukraine as a strong catalyst of the hostility uh, towards the West, this is uh, the result that uh, we see today. So you say actually it's a lot deeper than what you see with the agency or the war. It's, it's, it's an historical maybe a, a crisis or process. So I want to ask you uh, about the Jewish agency's problems with the Russian government. They began a few years ago and have inten intensified steadily, long before the current crisis. Are the Russians simply trying to take advantage of an existing uh, but small bushfire to turn it into the threat of a forest wildfire? Or actually what you said is uh, this is a process and the, the Sohnut issue is, is an opportunity for the Russians to go ahead with the crisis. Ben, look, actually, <laughs> this is one of the favorite Russian uh, tactics. To create a small fire, and then, when the time is convenient, uh, to make a full-fledged crisis out of it. Uh, we see it in the internal politics, uh, when minor criminal cases are being started uh, against uh, oppositionists. And then, sometimes years after, people get arrested and uh, go to jail. Uh, the last case is the case of Leonid Gozman uh, with uh, Israeli citizenship. We also see it in, in the Russian foreign policy, for example. Uh, Russia occupied Donetsk and Luhansk provinces of Ukraine in uh, 2014. And in 2022, claimed there was a genocide of uh, Russian-speaking populations there and used it um, as one of the pretexts to invade Ukraine. Coming back uh, to the Sohnut, in my opinion, yes. Of course, Russia can use the same tactics uh, here, but at the moment, and uh, I underscore at the moment, uh, I have to say that I don't see the desire on the Russian side to create a full-scale conflict with Israel. On the contrary, it seems like the tensions is calming down now. But remember, the potential of escalation is still there. Uh, so let's talk about uh, the Jews in Russia. There are over 150,000 Jews living in Russia. To what extent is the agency's activity there still vital to Israeli interests uh, in terms of aliyah, immigration, relations with Russian Jews, and so on? There are those who believe that the agency has long been an unnecessary organization, the Sukhnut, 
One of them, by the way, is Yasha Kedmi, who has served as a liaison between uh, Russia and Israel for decades and was instrumental in the mass immigration of uh, Jews from Russia in the 1990s. What do you think? First of all, 150,000 Jews, I think that uh, we don't know exactly the number. Maybe it's uh, more. And there is also the category that we have the people that they have the right to uh, make Aliyah to Israel, but they are not uh, Jewish population. And I think the numbers are higher that uh, you mentioned. Sokhnut has been doing a, a very important job in Russia for the last 30 years. It's a, it's a fact. And uh, it's important uh, for Israel and it's important for the local Jewish communities. And it's not only about Aliyah, it's also about the connection with Israel, the Jewish identity, Jewish history, tradition, uh, culture, language, Hebrew, and, and much more. If Sofnut eventually closes, it will be very difficult to find a replacement to it. Now, you mentioned Yasha Kedmi. In this regard, I want to say something. This person uh, constantly, in, in these days, in these uh, months, participates in one of the most uh, infamous uh, propagandistic TV shows of Kremlin, side by side with another Jewish person, Vladimir Solovyov, who is now under Western sanctions of EU and the United States. So in this context, uh, I suggest to be very cautious and rely on his words. So actually you said it's too early to say that the Sokhnut has fulfilled its historic title or job or mission. So let's talk about someone you know very well. I'm talking about President Vladimir Putin. Many claim that he was a special warm place for the Jewish people. You were the one who brought him as president of Russia on a historic visit to Israel in 2006. What can you tell us about his attitude towards the Jews and Israel, the many interests that he is dealing with, etc.? The picture is not one-dimensional. Uh, one it's very difficult to explain in a few sentences uh, Putin's feelings about Jews and Israel. And you're right. On one hand, uh, during the years of his power, the Jewish community life had flourished, uh, without doubt, any doubt. And so uh, had the relations between Russia and Israel. He's the only Russian leader who visited Israel twice. I correct you, the first visit, historical visit, was in 2005, and the second was in 2012. Okay. On the other hand, vis-a-vis uh, -vis Jewish community, uh, Putin created a very complicated structure of organizations that uh, were favored by him and those that were not. Also, vis-a-vis -vis Israel, not everything was uh, smooth. For example, uh, Russia sold um, advanced uh, weapons to Syria and Iran in spite of Israeli protests. Also, people in the close circle to Putin they are both uh, Jewish, uh, Jews, and uh, anti-Semites. His favorite teacher, for example, uh, who taught him German at school, was Jewish. And when she moved to Israel, he ordered to buy her an apartment in Tel Aviv. It's a very nice uh, <laughs> act from his side. Some of Jewish oligarchs are his cronies and uh, are under sanctions now. And we have to remember it. But the others were persecuted by him. My personal opinion is that he is not an uh, anti-Semite and not anti-Israel. And as a proof, we see that the relations between Israel and Russia 
were better than uh, Russian relations with some other Western countries. But, but, and here's the but, we should understand that the situation changed dramatically after Russian invasion to Ukraine. And uh, Putin's uh, breaking off of the relations with the West uh, will inevitably influence the relations between Israel and Russia. In Putin's eyes, we have to remember this. The United States and the NATO are his biggest enemies. And for Israel, the US is the closest and the most important uh, strategic ally. And we can't ignore this uh, factor. So we have to be cautious here as well. If there is indeed a significant and deep crisis in uh, Israel-Russia relations, could it spill over from the political diplomatic to the military sphere, and especially to the freedom of action that Israel's Air Force enjoys in the skies over Syria, which are controlled by uh, Russians' uh, radar systems? First of all, I have to say that um, the real crisis is not here yet. And I very much, uh, very much hope uh, it won't come. Uh, regarding Syria, we should remember that uh, in giving Israel freedom of action there, Russia is not doing us uh, any favors. It's her strategic interest too, that uh, Iran doesn't develop strong military presence uh, there in Syria. And Putin is happy that Israel is doing the job for him. And uh, still there's, uh, of course, a lot of sensitivity around the Russian military presence in Syria. And uh, um, in the overall balance of the relations, it's uh, one of the main factors that uh, Israel should uh, consider. Can you explain uh, to us Putin's uh, participation in what is being called in the West the evil summit in Tehran, together with President Raisi and Turkish President uh, Erdogan? Should Israel feel threatened by such an event? Uh, or is Putin trying to create alternative moves and markets for himself after being cast as a, a pariah by the West? Okay, I will explain. For Putin, this visit was uh, an opportunity to demonstrate uh, these three countries' partnership against the West uh, to show to the world and to his domestic audience that Russia is not isolated and uh, that there is international willingness to accept uh, a, a multipolar world order that uh, is not led by the United States alone. Uh, military cooperation with Iran is another interest of Putin and uh, we know we know this that uh, it was discussed during uh, the meetings. Moreover, uh, during the visit, a draft agreement on strategic cooperation was exchanged and uh, this draft includes a section on military technical cooperation. This agreement is designed to replace the previous agreement between the two states that expired in uh, 2020. Until the um, Russian invasion of Ukraine, Russia limited its uh, military cooperation with Iran for fear of Western response. But this constraint no longer exists and uh, Russia might offer uh, Iran uh, advanced uh, military technologies that until now were beyond its uh, reach. There were also reports that uh, Russia is interested to buy from Iran hundreds of UAVs for use in Ukraine. It's uh, unbelievable. There is a question and also doubt if Iran has the capacity to produce high numbers of uh, UAVs in a short time. In the Syrian context, there was a joint Iranian-Russian in interest to prevent Turkey from launching a new operation in northern Syria. 
it seems that uh, they haven't succeeded in that. We also know that the Tehran officials raised the subject of Israeli attacks in Syria in the conversation with uh, Putin. Uh, but eventually, this issue was not included in the final summary of the summit. Uh, an agreement between Russia and Iranian oil companies uh, was uh, signed, according uh, to which Russian company Gazprom, a well-known company, will invest $40 billion in the Iranian oil and gas industry. Uh, the experts uh, have doubts uh, that the Russian side will have such uh, money to invest, especially with the war in the background. Having said all that, it's important to emphasize that the, the summit in uh, Tehran reflected only a partial conference of uh, interests for the three countries, alongside, uh, I will say, continued disagreements, opposing interests, and uh, mutual suspicions. Very interesting. And uh, by the way, it's really unbelievable that the Russians, the superpower, are trying to buy uh, armed UAVs from uh, Tehran. By the way, according to foreign media, Israel just destroyed a few months ago a huge hangar with hundreds of such drones in Tehran. I hope the President Putin is not angry with us because of this. But let's uh, start or try to get into Putin's head. You are one of the Israelis who knows him best, as best as possible. Do you think he regrets the adventure of the invasion of Ukraine? If you could Take him back seven months ago, would he still do it? Is there a chance that uh, at some point he will try to reach a reasonable uh, agreement, declare victory and return to Moscow? Or is this war with us to stay? Uh, it's a difficult question. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I, I can't uh, say that I know Putin better than any other Israeli, but uh, really I had uh, quite a few hours with him, and so I will try. Uh, Putin had several goals that he wanted to reach in the war in Ukraine. To change, uh, first of all, to change the regime in Kiev for a puppet government that uh, he will be able to run. Second, uh, uh, to prevent NATO from expanding east of Ukraine. Third, not to let Ukraine to become a member of the European Union. And there are other uh, goals in this uh, war. Objectively looking, he failed in uh, all that. What he succeeded to do, in my opinion, at the moment, it's to occupy territories in eastern and southern, southern parts of Ukraine and to create a corridor between Donbass, its eastern part of Ukraine, to the Crimea Peninsula that he occupied in 2014. But in my opinion, this achievement is a temporary. And why? Because the Ukrainian army is receiving massive weapon supplies from the US and some European countries, and the Ukrainian army is preparing a counterattack. Today, Ukrainians are feeling that if the Western support continues, and it continues, they uh, can win, at least partly. So I don't see a possibility to impose on them an agreement that uh, defines the status quo as it is today. So my estimation would be that the war will continue at least uh, till the end of the year, if not longer. Regarding uh, your question, if Putin uh, regrets eh, the, that he started the war, I would support that he does not. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm not sure if he receives correct and full information about what happens there, the amount of uh, losses, etc. 
Secondly, it's not in his psychology to regret. He's deeply convinced that he's right and the war was justified and necessary for the Russian national interests. History showed us many nations or armies that invaded Russia and regretted it. We can talk about uh, Napoleon and uh, about the Germans, yes. Yes. but not vice versa. And maybe this is the first, the first time it can happen, although I, I think you are right. I don't know anything about the Russian type of thinking, but uh, it is not in the, in the, in the Russian psychology or, or culture to regret such a move. Yeah, yeah. And finally, another tough question, if the situation continues to deteriorate, do you think that Putin would resort to the limited use of unconventional weapons, something like tactical nuclear weapons or in isolated areas or chemical weapons if the worst happens? I would be happy to give a negative answer to this question. But uh, I remember as in February, when the question, will Putin invade Ukraine, was asked, uh, most experts uh, were convinced that he would not. So unfortunately, when uh, we deal with a totalitarian leader, whose uh, rationale is not always clear to us, uh, we can't rule out any possibility. Uh, of course, there are some experts that they think that uh, there's a five stages activation of nuclear weapon in Russia. So there is the opinion also that the military person that is responsible for this five-stage activation will not do it. But really, in this situation, with this totalitarian leader, we really control out any possibility. But I'm also quite sure that if the West sends Putin a clear and confident message that any nuclear strike will be retaliated with a nuclear strike on Russia, it will be a serious uh, deterrent for him. It's very interesting, very worrying, but a fascinating talk. Uh, I want to thank you, Arkady Milman, for uh, joining us here today in Al Monitor. Thank you very much for this question, we'll, uh, for this uh, conversation. We will be right back after this short break. Thank you, Arkady. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. The big question about who is the real Vladimir Putin, a Jew lover and the Israel supporter or vice versa, 
cannot uh, could not be answered in this interesting conversation with the uh, ambassador Arkady Milman the situation is a little more complicated and uh, as, as he said the Russian president is not a one-dimension person there are many sides of course Jewish life in his times flourished in the what was the Soviet Union and now is Russia on the other hand he created a very complicated uh, structure and Uh, many Jewish uh, oligarchs or, or, or just Jews are under boycott or uh, had to flee Russia. On one hand, uh, his favorite teacher from childhood was Jewish and he bought her an apartment when she immigrated, made an aliyah to Israel. And uh, on the other hand, he just uh, came back from uh, the evil summit in Tehran, etc., etc. So Putin is, uh, is everything. Only Putin will decide if in the next months or years he will be a pro-Israel or against it. An interesting uh, analysis by Ambassador Milman uh, was that Vladimir Putin is not anti-Semite, of course, and also not such a Jew, a Jew lover, but uh, the situation changed dramatically in recent weeks or months after the invasion of Russia to the Ukraine. When he found NATO and the United States as his worst enemies on the other side, and Israel now is lining with them, this can be dangerous, and Putin can find himself, or we can find him, on the wrong side of the equation. When we spoke about the crisis around the Jewish agency's action in Russia, Ambassador Milman said uh, the, the crisis is not technical or bureaucratic, but it's not necessarily connected to the Jewish agency, but maybe, as we said, to the Israeli stand right now in the Ukraine. But uh, the ambassador said that uh, he, he does not recognize a significant change in the Israeli uh, stand in Ukraine, although uh, Naftali Bennett is not there anymore and Yael Lapid is leaning more to the West, but there is not such a, a difference uh, between them. Uh, what Milman said is that the, the crisis is maybe a result of a, a long internal process in Russia that took it uh, far from the West, from democracy, many things that happened, in a period of one, two, or four years, and brought us uh, to the place where we are now. And maybe it's, it's an example to a, a Russian expertise, like uh, Ambassador Milman uh, described us, to, uh, to lit a small fire. He called it one of the favorite Russian tactics to create a small crisis and then use it when you like to use it and, and make it bigger. You can make a big drama out of it. In order to get uh, the results you want, one of the key points was uh, I think in the end of the conversation when I asked him uh, if, if the situation will go on deteriorating from the Russian point of view, can Putin consider or even try or act or use an uh, unconventional weapon like chemical weapon or maybe a nuclear tactical nuclear weapon and the uh, ambassador Milman that knows Putin. And served in uh, Moscow said that he would be very happy to give us negative answer 
but he cannot do it because uh, he said, when we asked all the uh, analysts in February, back in the beginning of this year, if, if he's going to invade, if Putin will uh, really invade uh, the Ukraine in the end, most of them answered no. So why answer no now when the invasion is a failure and the situation of the Russian army is not getting better? And he said it can be solved or uh, it can be blocked only by a very clear demonstration of will by the West that will say that any nuclear attack by Russia on the Ukraine will be retaliated immediately with a similar attack on Russia. This can be the cure or can solve the, these possibilities, horrific possibilities of uh, deterioration in uh, Europe. We'll meet you uh, next week in the same place on Israel in Al Monitor. I hope you enjoyed it or find it uh, interesting. I am Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Take care and bye-bye.